Welcome to Ancient Heroes, where we explore the mysteries and myths of the ancient world. I'm your host, Patrick Garvey. You can find the show notes and learn more about ancient history at ancientheroes.net. Hi, everybody. In today's episode, we're going to talk about racism in the classics. So I'm going to give my reaction to Sunday's The Daily podcast episode called He Wants to Save Classics from Whiteness, Can the Field Survive? And this was a special weekend episode of The Daily podcast by the New York Times. And I recommend that you listen to the episode before listening to my reaction. I am going to play some clips and kind of give a summary, but... Really, you should just listen to the episode to fully understand what I'm talking about and to have the full context. And so this episode was about Professor Danelle Padilla-Peralta's view on the study of the classics and the role that the, the study and the discipline of the classics, which is the study of classical civilization of ancient Greece and Rome primarily, uh, the role that the classics have played in the perpetuation of racism and white supremacy and oppression over the centuries. So uh, as you'll soon hear, Professor Padilla Peralta believes that the classics have had a uniquely bad, uh, uniquely complicit role in racism and in uh, justifying harm against black people and presumably other oppressed minorities as well. So uh, I'm going to start out and just play a couple of clips to give you a taste of what the episode was about. And then I'm going to give my reactions, positive, negative, agree and disagree with the episode as a whole, and also provide sort of some counterpoints to some of the things that were said. So just as a caveat, I'm not an expert in the classics. I'm an amateur uh, person who likes studying history, who's very interested in these ancient civilizations. I haven't even gotten to ancient Rome yet. I've so far mostly just been studying ancient Greece, but I'm very interested in the ancient world, and I have absolutely no connections or ties to academia. And I wasn't a major in the classics. I did go to a liberal arts school. I did read the Odyssey. I did take some humanities courses, but I just really am not an expert in some of the things that this uh, that this subject is about. So I'm just giving my amateur reaction to some of this. So take that for what it's worth. And this is also really sort of my initial reaction. I have spent the last few days really digging in and uh, listening to lectures by Danelle Padilla-Peralta, as well as reading articles and looking at perspectives that are different than his and uh, that take issue with his perspective. And so I've, I've done some research over the last few days, but uh, I'm far from an expert in all this, and I may end up doing a part two at a later date once I've really clarified my thoughts and had more time to study it. So okay, uh, with all that out of the way, let's jump in and hear a couple of clips. My name is Rachel Poser, and I'm a contributor to the New York Times Magazine. I wrote about the study of ancient Greece and Rome, a discipline known as classics, and about a black professor at Princeton named Danelle Padija Peralta, who has become one of the most respected and controversial academics in his field. 
Donnell was born in the Dominican Republic and he grew up undocumented in the United States. For a while when he was a kid, he lived in homeless shelters throughout New York City. And it was in one of these shelters that he found a textbook that sparked his fascination with ancient history. But over the years, his fascination has turned into something more like alarm. He says the field of classics has become so entangled with white supremacy that it needs to be broken down completely. Danell says the problem isn't ancient Greece and Rome. It's what people, and particularly what white Europeans and Americans, have done with the legacy of Greece and Rome in the two millennia since. On January 6th, when Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building, some of them were carrying symbols of Greek and Roman culture, wearing helmets and waving flags. Danell was not surprised. So here's my story. He wants to save classics from whiteness. Can the field survive? Okay, so that's the first clip, and now I'm going to play another clip here where you're actually going to hear more about what Professor Pidia Peralta thinks about the classics. Over the course of 10 minutes, Padija laid out an indictment of his field. If one were intentionally to design a discipline whose institutional organs and gatekeeping protocols were explicitly aimed at disavowing the legitimate status of scholars of color, he said... One could not do better than what classics has done. Padija's vision of classics' complicity and systemic injustice is uncompromising, even by the standards of some of his allies. He has condemned the field as equal parts vampire and cannibal, a dangerous force that has been used to murder, enslave, and subjugate. He's on record as saying that he's not sure the discipline deserves a future. Dennis Feeney, a Latinist at Princeton, told me, Padija believes that classics is so entangled with white supremacy as to be inseparable from it. Far from being extrinsic to the study of Greco-Roman antiquity, he has written, the production of whiteness turns on closer examination to reside in the very marrows of classics. Okay, so as you can see, uh, Professor Padilla Peralta has a very harsh indictment of the classics and he believes that the discipline of the classics and the study of the classics over the centuries has been deeply complicit in the perpetuation and justification of racism, and it has had a uniquely uh, close relationship with uh, the oppression of black people and other minorities. So uh, let's see. So, okay, I'm going to start out with just what are some things I agree with. And again, I'd recommend you listen to the full episode because that's going to give you better context for this discussion. But some things that I agree with from the episode. There hasn't been enough diversity within the discipline of the classics. And as we talked about just recently in our last episode of the podcast, we talked about the film 300 and that it was basically Spartan propaganda uh, with the Persians being portrayed as evil monsters and Leonidas and the 300 Spartans being heroes. And so although uh, I did express in that episode that I thought that was essentially a you know a racist depiction or it at least could be interpreted that way, um, what you have in some of this Greek history is you have these legendary warriors, who are figures of authority, who are idolized over the centuries. 
And oftentimes, some of these figures, whether it be Leonidas or Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar, etc., they did a lot of violence. They hurt a lot of people. In some cases, they were conquerors and they were suppressing people and killing entire cities and civilizations. And yet then they are later idolized as heroes. And a lot of that is sort of glossed over or forgotten about. And you see that in modern films uh, where this sort of um, idolization continues. And so I think that like, uh, like other ancient texts, um, like other ideologies, religious ideologies or, or other, they, can, they, they set themselves up to be easily misused and to justify uh, horrible things. And so uh, I, I know that I haven't done a ton of research on this, but I know that uh, the Third Reich and the Nazis did utilize Spartan imagery, and, and they use the, the example of the Spartans as a source of inspiration or something to that effect. I know that this kind of thing has been used by the ancient Greeks and ancient Romans and, and that kind of thing has been used by dictators and fascists and murderers. And it was even used uh, most recently by the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th, which was a absolutely shocking and horrible moment in American history. So, uh, so you see that this stuff is used and misused and distorted in some cases uh, to further the aims of people with bad intentions that are seeking to cause harm and that are seeking to commit violence on others. And so I think what's happened is the lack of diversity in the discipline of the classics has led to a situation where you don't have enough people who are really delving into that influence that the classics has had. So you, you, basically some of the ways that the classics have been invoked and misused hasn't been studied enough by people that are in the discipline of the classics because you largely have uh, a, a situation where it's predominantly been white men who have been involved in the classics. I think some of that is changing. I think there probably is more diversity now in the younger generations uh, definitely on a anecdotal level, I see a lot more women who seem to be interested in the classics on social media, who are studying the classics, who are PhDs and that kind of thing. I'm not sure about the race breakdown, but the there isn't a lot of diversity, I think, in the older generations and before that. And so I just think that some of these, some of the ways that the classics have been misused in the past by bad regimes and bad actors hasn't been fully reckoned with and hasn't been studied enough and it hasn't become enough a part of the curriculum of people studying the classics today. So what I would say is that there needs to be more diversity in the classics so that we have a more a greater diversity of interests and of people who have a personal connection and uh, to some of these events. Again, you wouldn't have to, but um, surely there are white men who are in the field of the classics who do study this kind of thing. But I think an increased level of diversity would definitely help. And I think it would remove some of the blind spots, help start removing some of the blind spots 
that Danelle Padilla-Peralta is talking about when it comes to the classics, some of these things that haven't fully been reckoned with. So more diversity, agree with. I think that we have to incorporate the way, the impact and misuse of the classics throughout history into the curriculum. I think to some extent that may already be happening. Again, I'm not an expert on what the current classics curriculum is, but that clearly has to be something that's almost mandatory for people to understand. We can't just look at this this stuff in a vacuum. We have to understand how these texts are used. And I would say that about any ideology. I would say that about any religion, any worldview. We have to understand how these things are being used in the real world. Even if they're being used by crazy people, we still need to understand how they're resonating, how they're being misused and manipulated. We can't just turn a blind eye to that kind of thing. Um, So uh, in the same vein, someone who's studying Christianity needs to be aware of how Christianity and the Bible or other uh, Christian texts and, and and thinkers and that kind of thing have been used to further violence have been, you know, how, how acts of violence and, uh, acts of terror or whatever they may be have been done in the name of Christianity or inspired by Christianity and that kind of thing. They have to understand that that's important. We can't operate in a vacuum to the political and social and cultural realities that are happening around us and in the past. So that's, I agree with that. Um, and I also agree that the curriculum has to be expanded too from just sort of the straightforward study of the leaders of ancient Greece and Rome. And we need to broaden that to, to really incorporate in a full depth level of the people who weren't in power, the, the slaves, the second class citizens, the laborers, the, you know, uh, the average people who were living in these cities and, you know, we can't just study the writings of Julius Caesar. We can't just study the biography of Alexander the Great. We have to understand, you know, who are the people that were being subjugated by these conquerors and these leaders and what were their lives like. We have to really flesh that kind of thing out to get a full context and a full understanding of who these, even if you just, even if you really just want to understand these individuals, how can you understand Alexander the Great or see Alexander the Great clearly without understanding the true consequences and the true weight of the decisions that he was making and some of the violence that he was perpetrating on others? Um, so, uh, but again, we should. It shouldn't just be about that. We should want to understand the ancient world kind of in a you know the full spectrum, not just taking these writings of powerful figures of the time and and just focusing on that. So again, that this stuff is being done on some level. I don't know uh, the extent, but I would just say I'm fully supportive of that. And I think you probably can't do enough of that kind of thing because let's be honest, these biographies of Alexander the Great, the ancient biographies, the writings of Homer, this stuff has been analyzed on such a minute level for for eons. And of course, there's always more you can do, but we've analyzed this stuff 99%, and now we're trying to get to 99.2% and 99.6%. I mean, it really becomes an incremental, a very incremental improvement, whereas there might be entire populations and civilizations that uh, have been almost unexplored who, who influenced and were influenced by the ancient Romans and ancient Greeks. 
Um, so we have to, we definitely have to look at that. So on all of this stuff, I very much agree with Danel Padilla Peralta and others who have made these points. And now getting into some of the things that I disagree with or am skeptical about or am unsure about. So the major claim that I hear Danel Padilla Peralta making is that yes, many things contributed in the past to the perpetuation of racism and white supremacy, but the classics did so in a uniquely complicit and a uniquely egregious way. And in such an egregious way that we may not be able to even break from that by just trying to improve things today. We need to totally uh, tear down the current way that we do classics and start from scratch with a whole new perspective. And so that's his view. And if we don't do that, then we might have to consider abandoning this discipline altogether. So I'm unsure and leaning disagree on this because I think that we all know that you can't expect that the discipline of the classics in the 1800s would be somehow existing apart from society at the time, which was more racist and there was slavery and there was state-sponsored terrorism against black people, basically. And so while, of course, some people were against slavery at the time and people had different thoughts about it, in general, it, in general, the average person's norms that they were operating by were much more racist and, uh, and much more anti-black. And so that's going to be reflected in any discipline, in any area of study. Uh, and so that, that's one thing. Another thing is that we know that many disciplines were very much complicit scientific disciplines where they were used in a, a pseudo-scientific way to justify racism and to justify the idea that white people were superior, you know? And so, uh, and so we know that many disciplines were involved in justifying slavery or racism, and I think that the people that were seeking to justify these things were reaching into the Bible, they were reaching into... Uh, ancient civilizations like ancient Greece and Rome. They were reaching into the scientific disciplines to find anything that they could misuse or distort or grab a hold of that could justify basically their agenda at the time. And so from that perspective, I'm not sure without seeing more evidence that the classics were and the, the discipline of the classics has been uniquely bad on, on this subject. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to turn now to a clip from Cornell West, who is a uh, professor at Harvard University, basically a legendary uh, philosopher and social commentator who's deeply steeped in the conversation around race in America. And he recently has been doing some interviews and writing some op-eds about uh, strongly against removing the distinct discipline of the classics at some universities. So I'm going to turn to a clip from him where he's being interviewed by Walter Isaacson. 
In the January 6th insurrection on Capitol Hill, some of the people wore Greek helmets and they carried flags that said, you know, Malon Labe, meaning come get our weapons. It was almost like they were the Battle of Thermopylae. They were, they were channeling the classics for white supremacy. What did you think when you saw that? Well, I mean, one, my brother, as a uh, black man in America, as a revolutionary Christian, I'm never uh, surprised by evil and never paralyzed by despair. So any tradition can be used in a vicious manner. Any religion can be re used in a vicious manner. Any institution can. And, uh, and there's no accident that there's a whole host of resources in the classical tradition of the West or any other civilization that lends itself to interpretations grounded in a hatred and a greed and attempt to dominate others. Yet those same traditions also are open to uh, being used and deployed to bring in, call into question, to critique, to undermine uh, uh, hatred and greed and domination. And so it's like the Ku Klux Klan. And here they got my Jesus and my cross, and they think they're Christians. Well, there's a long history of Christians who have been involved in form of hatred and greed and promote structures of domination. I shouldn't be surprised, but that doesn't mean that those ugly versions of Christianity somehow exhaust the best of prophetic Christianity, what Dorothy Day was about, you see, what Martin King was about, what Fannie Lou Hamer was about, what Philip Berrigan was about. Say it would be true with Judaism, what, what Rabbi Hesher was about. Say it would be true with secular traditions as well. You see, what Muriel Rukeyser was about. What, what, what Malcolm X, the prophetic Muslim, was about. Those are forces for good at their best. Okay, so there you hear Dr. Cornell West of Harvard, who I don't always agree with. Uh, he's a very uh, progressive thinker, um, and he's a brilliant person. Uh, and I think that every time I listen to him, I'm blown away by his ability to communicate complex ideas, the references that he makes on the fly. He's just an absolute legend. Uh, and, um, and there he is sort of making the case that, yes, the classics have been misused and have provided resources to people to commit acts of violence, to commit acts of terror, and to oppress people. But it's also provided resources on the flip side, on the positive side, to inspire freedom fighters, to inspire people seeking to free themselves and to improve society and to further the quest for civil rights and that kind of thing. So I tend to agree more with that perspective. I think that there's such a diversity of resources here. And uh, of course, Cornell West is talking more about the classics themselves than he is the discipline of the classics, but all this stuff is intertwined on some level because the discipline has impacted, you know, what texts and stuff we know about, what's most prominent, and that kind of thing. So, um, what I would say is that I'm in agreement that there is clearly a negative side and there's also a positive side, and we need to improve upon the discipline. I'm skeptical that we need to completely tear it down or even possibly abandon it or rework it completely from scratch. I'm, I'm more in the camp of improving things, of filling in those blind spots, 
of building on the foundation, on the good aspects of the foundation that exist. Um, So, okay, so another question came up in the episode about should the classics even exist as a distinct discipline? So in some of these universities, you have ancient history as sort of a separate field from the classics. And my understanding is that the classics focus specifically mostly on ancient Roman and Greek civilization, and the, the emphasis is largely on the language of, of those civilizations being ancient Greek and Latin, and the literature and the analysis of some of these texts. Although it is a multidisciplinary field, where the arts are also studied, and it's sort of like studying the civilization in a way that's a little bit different than what just the normal approach is within ancient history. So the argument for that, I'm trying to decipher the argument for it, and I think it has to do with how foundational these civilizations were to Western civilization, quote-unquote, and the founding of democracy and that kind of thing in the more modern world, or at least the perception of that. And so um, and so the classics sort of has a special place apart and distinct from ancient history, although obviously there's a lot of overlap. And so I'm unsure, I'm on the fence about whether or not that should be the case. If I was starting a university tomorrow, I think I would be hard-pressed to make it a distinct discipline, frankly. Uh, I think that it makes more logical sense to me to just have ancient history and history as one large subject, one large department, uh, and then you have specialties within that. Surely ancient Rome and ancient Greece would have very in-depth specialties, but you'd also have in-depth specialties about ancient African history, ancient Asian history, uh, ancient history of Latin and South America, of you know other parts of Europe, etc., um, in the Middle East. And so you would basically have, you know, ancient history. And then if people want to specialize in Rome and Greece, we know that there's a deep sort of tradition there that they can specialize in. But why have it separate would be my question. When we know that, we know more and more, I think, that other cultures impacted the ancient Greeks and Romans and that, you know, the ancient Mediterranean world was interconnected. And so, you know, why not just have the class rather than have the classics have ancient Mediterranean studies, and then you know uh, you have the ancient studies of other regions of the world. So that's that would be I think that makes the most logical sense to me. Although I'm not going to totally rule out having the classics as a distinct discipline. There's a very rich history there of of doing it that way, a rich tradition of doing it that way. That these schools have, you know. Um, they have, uh, I'm not saying that I would end if I, if I took over at a university, I would end the classics or I would try to integrate it back in. I don't know what I would do. Um, maybe there, there are some really good reasons for continuing it in, you know, as a distinct discipline. So to close things out here, um, I'm going to, uh, offer another quote from Dr. Cornell West, I'm going to quote a passage from a recent op-ed that he wrote along with Jeremy Tate, who's the founder and chief executive officer of an organization called the Classic Learning Test. This was an op-ed that appeared in the Washington Post on April 19th, so not too long ago, and uh, it's called Opinion, Howard University's Removal of, 
of classics is a spiritual catastrophe. So this was in response to Howard University, which is a historical black university, um, uh, removing the classics. Again, they're not getting rid of the study of ancient Greece and Rome. I think they're just integrating the classics back into other departments. And so they're, they're just moving away from having the classics as a distinct major in a distinct discipline within the university. But Dr. Cornell West and his co-writer here, Jeremy Tate, uh, Tate are very against that. And, and, uh, and I'm going to read the beginning of this article. Quote, Upon learning to read while enslaved, Frederick Douglass began his great journey of emancipation, as such journeys always begin, in the mind. Defying unjust laws, he read in secret, empowered by the wisdom of contemporaries and classics alike to think as a free man. Douglas risked mockery, abuse, beating, and even death to study the likes of Socrates, Cato, and Cicero. Long after Douglas's encounters with these ancient thinkers, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. would be similarly galvanized by his reading in the classics as a young seminarian. He mentioned Socrates three times in his 1963 letter from Birmingham jail. Yet today, one of America's greatest black institutions, Howard University, is diminishing the light of wisdom and truth that inspired Douglas, King, and countless other freedom fighters. Amid a love for educational priority, sorry, Amid a move for educational prioritization, Howard University is dissolving its classics department. Tenured faculty will be dispersed to other departments where their courses can still be taught, but the university has sent a disturbing message by abolishing the department. Academia's continual campaign to disregard or neglect the classics is a sign of spiritual decay, moral decline, and a deep intellectual narrowness running amok in American culture. Those who commit this terrible act treat Western civilization as either irrelevant and not worthy of prioritization or as harmful and worthy only of condemnation. Sadly, in our culture's conception, the crimes of the West have become so central that it's hard to keep track of the best of the West. We must be vigilant and draw the distinction between Western civilization and philosophy on the one hand and Western crimes on the other. The crimes spring from certain philosophies and certain aspects of the civilization, not all of them. The Western canon is, more than anything, a conversation among great thinkers over generations that grows richer the more we add our own voices and the excellence of voices from Africa, Asia, Latin America, and everywhere else in the world. We should never cancel voices in this conversation, whether that voice is Homer or students at Howard University, for this is no ordinary discussion. The Western canon is an, extend, is an extended dialogue among the creme de la creme of our civilization about the most fundamental questions. It is about asking, what kind of creatures are we, no matter what context we find ourselves in? It is about living more intensely, more critically, more compassionately. Is it, about, it is about learning to attend to the things that matter and turning our attention away from what is superficial. End quote. So, that's just a excerpt from the op-ed. You can read it at WashingtonPost.com. But there we have a very interesting sort of counterpoint that's being made uh, to some extent uh, toward what Danelle Padilla-Peralta is, is, uh, is saying in his conception of the current place and role of the classics. 
And obviously, Cornell West is someone who is a very progressive, leftist kind of thinker. So this is something where he's not someone coming from the right wing who is rejecting sort of uh, a wave of, of new uh, liberalism or, or new leftist movement that's happening in academia. He's someone who's very much been a leader among progressive thinkers in America who has a different perspective, presumably, than uh, Danelle Padilla Peralta. As best as I can tell, he's taking a very different approach to some of this, where he believes deeply in preserving the classics, improving on the classics, uh, and, and filling in the gaps, um, rather than you know talking about possibly abandoning the classics altogether uh, or starting from the ground up. So um, I tend to side more with West, like I said, uh, but I'm going to keep learning about this subject. Um, I just recently ordered a book called Confronting the Classics by Mary Beard, who's a well-known classicist, and I'm reading some other things that, uh, you know, I'm just kind of expanding. I'm starting to expand my perspective a little bit and my scope of what I'm studying outside of Greece, and I'm, I'm reading the Epic of Gilgamesh now which uh, some say had a strong influence on uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, and that was ancient, an ancient Babylonian uh, uh, story. So, so anyways, I'm going to keep studying on this. Maybe I'll do a part two on racism in the classics if people are interested in that. This is just my initial impression, so don't take it too much to heart. It's really just to get people thinking um, and you might come to different conclusions that I have. And like I said, I'd encourage you to uh, listen to the daily podcast episode. I'd encourage you to uh, read this op-ed by Dr. Cornell West in the Washington Post about saving the classics. So that's all I have for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Derek Feister for composing the music used in this episode. If you like the show, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or your podcast app. Until next time.